A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, I'm Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to another episode of The Chemical Show. This week's episode is being published just prior to International Women's Day, and this week's guest is just perfect. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Lauren Starr. She is known for transforming leadership and organizational culture by pushing the edge of the status quo to achieve greater employee engagement, culture, inclusion, and diversity. As the first inclusion and diversity psychologist in the U.S., Dr. Starr's focus is evidence-based inclusion, diversity, and equality. And as you know, across the chemical industry, we love data and evidence. So this is great. Um, with 20 plus years as an executive leader, Lauren is raising the ID and E bar while driving measurable change within organizations through data-driven strategies. There's that data board again. Um, her own affinities go beyond being a woman. She is a veteran of the US Armed Forces, having served in Desert Storm has a learning disability, and was raised in a multicultural family. Prior to her corporate life, she performed on and off Broadway. So we're in for a real treat. Lauren, welcome to The Chemical Chef. Oh, my God, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here because you're my people. You're my people. <laughs> you well, and you're me, my people. Right? So I am, I'm just really glad to have you here. Let's just start. What is your origin story and, and what got you really interested in DEI and specifically inclusion? Yeah, you know, sitting back and looking at all that I have done, it really goes back to my time in the military. Uh, when I was in the Army, the military has what we what I like to refer to as forced inclusion. In other words, you don't get to pick your battle buddy. They give you your battle buddy. And this is the person you have to rely on to keep you safe. Yeah. Okay. So there's no, but I don't get to go, wait, wait a minute. I want someone else. It's we're sorry, Loran, that's who you've got fixed the problem. Um, recognize the strengths this person has, let them see the strengths that you have, and then recognize where you can help. And that right. I, I didn't realize this was going on. This is just like, this is the military. It's forced unconscious inclusion. Um, and yeah. I really thrived in that space. Um, I felt I was heard. I was always heard, right? Always listened to. I did a ton of push-ups, though. Don't like. I did a ton of push-ups. I was always being dropped. Um, and and I will say I was one of the first women in combat without getting combat pay. Oh, that's interesting. Isn't that interesting? Because you know we gotta we gotta remember, right? We're going back to the 1990s, um, and women weren't allowed in combat, but yet I was a trauma medic. So throw me on a helicopter and send me in to go get someone that needs help. And yes, wow. I'm carrying, you know, we've got gunners and, you know, I'm carrying my own uh, M16. And if we have to fire back, we fire back. But uh, And I remember when they said to me, so we're going to send you over. However, you're not getting combat pay, but we're going to send you into combat areas. And my response to that was, okay. Like, yeah. I was getting paid. Right. They clothe me. They feed me. They house me. I'm getting paid. Whatever. I mean, it, there wasn't this thought of, whoa, wait a minute. Women's rights, you know, equity, yeah. equality. It, it just wasn't there. It was I'm just going to go do my job and whatever. It'll work itself out. Yeah. Um, did that for 10 years. Um, not all full time because then I went reserves and uh, inactive ready reserves. But when I went into the workplace, it was very different. Yeah. Um, you know, jumping into the workplace and I jumped in into the workplace in really 96, 97. It was a different, we were just starting to talk about the D word diversity, like affirmative action had run its semi-course, 
although it was still now being used more collegially than workplace. Um, yeah. But it, we were now looking at, and I'm from the Northeast, right? We're looking at diversity hiring. Let's hire diversity. Let's hire diversity. Now, now I still have this inclusive lens, right? Like it was, Yes. It, it's part of my foundation without having the word inclusion, my lens was inclusive. And I really struggled in the workplace, um, really in the early years around this, this scapegoating and uh, right. Like, Oh, there's this glass ceiling. We can't get ahead. I'm like, well then leave the company. Yeah. And we right, you either shatter that glass ceiling or you leave the company because it's going to cost the company more money to replace you. I don't think that's rocket science, rocket science, but apparently it is. Uh, well, because we, you know, a lot of women were like, oh, I can't, I'd never get another job. I'm like, yeah, you would. Like, what are you talking about? You know, yeah. though, that's an interesting one because I think there's a lot of fear that is perpetuated. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you won't get another job or um, you won't get a job that pays you as well as you have, or you get labeled as a troublemaker. And and the reality is if I go yeah. back to that same time frame in the early and mid nineties, um, I know some things that happens that to myself. Yeah. I know some things that happened to my friends, professionals, yep. professionals in the chemical absolutely. industry. Oh, absolutely. Who, um, who reported uh, mm -hmm. bad actions? Let's just leave it at that. Um, mm -hmm. And then we're scapegoated. And then we're scapegoated. And I, I have a zero. And maybe that's from the military as well. Like you're accountable. I am accountable for everything that happens in my day to day, including the harassment. Trust me, been there, done that. Um, I have been harassed. I have probably harassed. Uh, you know, I mean, it's yeah. just but but when you recognize that it's harassment, I'm the first one to step up and be like, whoa, wait a minute. Time out. I'm not going to be the good girl. See, in the military, I didn't have to be. So, you know, we let... Why do you say that? What does that mean? I, I didn't have to be a good girl in the military. I was treated just like the guys. Uh, got it. Right? Like, you're not promoted in the military again, right? The advancement isn't... Is it a he or a she, right? Like, advancement is based on your skill set. Truly yeah. your skill set. Your, your salary is based on the level that you enter at. And as you build skills, you increase your salary you increase your pay grade. Yeah. Um, you know, going into the workplace, I got the the first job or I, I had to really approach it with my eyes wide open. The first job I took, I come to find out that I was making a good $15,000 less than my male counterparts. Wow. And in having this like over beers one night, I'm like, you're like, you're an idiot. How did you get $15,000 more than me? Yeah. And he looked at me and he goes, you're the idiot. I bet you didn't ask. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, you can ask for more money? He's like, yeah. yeah. Let me show you how. Let nice. me show you how. So we sat there. I mean, we sat there for a good two, three hours just talking money and how to negotiate and having those difficult money conversations uh, yeah. that I've never been paid less than my worth since then. Good for you. No, and I good for get... him yes. for doing this, because I think many times mm -hmm. women and men, but more so women aren't shown the ways to negotiate. In fact, I, I, uh, I speak to women's groups and corporate groups on negotiate your success because mm -hmm. if you don't, who will. Right. And I think there's, and there's a whole lot of reasons behind it and we won't get into it today, but often women don't understand how to negotiate that. It's hard to have equity and equality and inclusion when the playing field is so different. Right. When society itself doesn't allow for equity and equality. So yeah, it's that level. There is no level playing field. Um, and I think as soon as we recognize that there isn't a level playing field, I'm never going to see that level playing field in my lifetime. I hope my daughters do. But to that point, now here we are, right, 2023, in 2021, my, I have twin girls who are seniors in high school this year. Well, they, they were working. Thank you, right? And they, they had a summer job and they were running the camp program. 
the two of them. And they found out that there was another camp that was offering more money. So they went to their boss, their manager, asked for more money. They're like, can we just have 50 cents more an hour? We just want to feel like we're valued for what we're doing. Right. Every bright, bright girls. The owner pulled them in and berated them. Who do you think you are asking for this? And they went in there with the, this is what I'm bringing to the organization. This is everything I'm doing outside my job description. Yeah. And he would, and his response, does your mother know you're in here talking to me? What message <laughs> does that send? That's horrible. And by Isn't the way, the answer horrible? is probably yes. My mom coached me on what to say. <laughs> my girls were like, I know. I mean, they, she knows we want to raise, but what's my mother have to do with this? Yeah. And when push when push came to shove, I was never so proud of my girls. When push came to shove, and he was like, "I want you to think about this. Is that fifty cents worth your jobs?" Both my girls told him, "Yeah, have fun. Good luck. Good luck. Good for them. Go find another job because there's other jobs out there." Um, and then he called me. She's <laughs> <laughs> just, just like, "Where am I? Is this the nineteen like forties mm. or thirties?" Yeah. So it's still there. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think what we need to do is just be, we, we need to be teaching each other how to negotiate. Yeah, from absolutely. That skills lens. So that's what absolutely. I learned from there. Did my time in corporate and then really as DE and I was becoming more and more prevalent, um, that's when I, like the light bulb went off and I went, oh, this is what I'm missing. This is organizations are missing that forced inclusion. Yeah. That's what we're missing. Like I have phenomenal communication skills and problem solving skills because of the military, because of the diversity that the military provided. And everybody was heard sitting at that table when we were talking out projects or approaches um, or anything that we were doing. Uh, We talked it out as a group and, and, I don't know. I right. I, I had no glasses, right? There wasn't that rose glass. There wasn't. It, it was a pretty, and that's not the history of the military. So, right. This was the time that I was in. So I just want the listeners to know that. Trust me, the military has made a ton of mistakes around diversity. Um, so, but so what's the light? So the so you had this light bulb around mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion in a corporate environment. Yeah. So first of all, maybe how do you differentiate between the two? Because I think we've been having this conversation. We, the industry, companies have been having this conversation for a long time and we still struggle. So how do we distinguish between diversity and inclusion? uh, And does one matter more than the other? Yeah, I think that's where we're starting to get it wrong. Not starting. This is where we've gotten it wrong. So diversity Right. Let's level. I love the word level set. We're going to level set you right here. Diversity is how we measure different affinity groups in an organization. That's it. So metrics. It's a number. Yeah. We like numbers. We We can measure that. They're tangible. We can measure it. Numbers are really good. Um, If I open up a bag of Skittles and I've got red, yellow, green, blue, purple, I can count how many of each color I have. That's diversity. That's it. We'll separate those groups out. Okay, inclusion is when we take all those Skittles, dump them back in the bag, shake the bag up and eat a yellow, a green and an orange together. You get a whole new flavor in your mouth. Mm. I use Skittles instead of M&Ms because the orange is lemon, the green is lime and the uh, the orange is, the yellow is lemon, the green is lime and the orange is orange. Yeah. Um, you've got a whole new flavor. That's inclusion. When your employees can come into the workplace and share their ideas and be heard and listened to. Um, when employees feel they're valued and they're able to contribute to the organization's goals, that's inclusion. That's inclusion. Now, I think where we went wrong Victoria, right now, let's get back to the data. Yeah. Where we went wrong 
um, is we've been selling organizations. I use the word we in the royal sense. Uh, we've been selling all of the benefits of diversity are actually benefits of inclusion. They're not hmm. benefits of diversity. Okay, right? so say more about that. So yeah. Because I think we, because we all look at the benefit case, right? So, oh, so we all look at the business case. Show me the business yeah. case. So, so the what's the business, business case? case? What's the business case for inclusion? And why is it not the business case for diversity? Right. So in all of the studies where the business cases argued for inclusion, I mean, for diversity, in all of the studies where the business cases argued for diversity, there was one inclusion exclusion criteria. All companies that were looked at had to have an inclusive organizational culture. Okay. Okay. And how do you what identify do you that? Had, right. And, and they go through, they would go through that employees felt like they belonged. Employees felt that they were valued. Employees felt they had a shared voice, uh, a voice at the table, part of the decision-making process. All of these studies. And in my PhD, in my dissertation, trust me, I've read more than I care to ever read on this and evaluating surveys uh, and, and studies. There was not one study that looked at diversity as a standalone. Hmm. So they didn't go, wait a minute, let's look at diversity in an organization without inclusion. There's not one study that looks at that. Yeah. So what they were measuring actually are outcomes of inclusion, because then when we look at inclusion, we see the exact same results without diversity. I'm going to say that again, when we look at studies that focus in on inclusion, their data results are the same as if they were focusing in on diversity. The outcomes are the same. So what you were measuring truly was inclusion. Got it. So the benefit of right the business case for diversity is that you'll have different perspectives, right? Different thought processes. That's the benefit of diversity. That is the only benefit of diversity. When you have inclusion, now all those you know that diversity benefit now yeah. thrives in the organization. Hmm. Because that different perspective changes problem solving and selling to different clients and increased productivity, increased job satisfaction. That's all part of being inclusive. Yeah. So how do we identify inclusive companies or inclusive cultures? Mm -hmm. um, because it feels hard to measure, right? I, again, I can measure diversity because... You're a different gender, your skin color is different, yeah. you're a different ethnicity, et cetera. Those are very identifiable things for me to measure. How do companies measure inclusion and know okay. if they're doing it right or not? Yeah. So when I go into an organization or when I've gone into an organization in the past to measure inclusion, the first thing I look at is retention data. Okay. Are you, what's your turnover numbers look like? Because here's what we know. When inclusion is not present, you will have a revolving door, especially around those that are marginalized or strong diversity, people of color, gender, uh, you know, sexual orientation, gender identity. Those people will not stay. They leave. So I look at retention data and I don't look at retention data month to month from my HR people. I yeah. look at retention data at, at, from my year lens. So how many people in the year left compared to what you what is your workplace size? Yeah. That believe it or not tells me how inclusive an organization is right out of the gate. I also look at six You days. don't think it's just about money? I feel like there's a certain time and certain no. populations. And I say populations just in the sense of the type of workplace that they're in. Um yeah. I know certainly over the last couple of years, we've talked about how hard it is to retain employees, to hire employees. That there's mm -hmm. just been a churn um, as a result of the pandemic and all the changes that came about. Would do you still think that's a diverse or an inclusion issue? Or absolutely, absolutely. Because in looking at organizations that are strongly inclusive, right, have a real strong inclusive culture, they're not feeling the hit. 
Yeah. Do you have any examples that you're, you're able to share? Um, so yeah, when we look at Amphifol, right, they're not feeling the hit. Um, I've got another company up here who I can't say their name, but they are a chemical company in New Hampshire. Um, they're not inclusive. They can't attract and keep their people. They have mm. what I call the revolving door because they're focused on, they're like, Lorraine, we want more diversity. I'm like, well, I can't help you there. You're in New Hampshire. Let's talk about inclusion. Build that inclusive workplace. Right. And then from there, you will thrive. Right. Your Which applies and inclusion applies to it goes beyond demographics, right? Because it's, it's also so just much more. Yeah. It's just it's the whole composition of the workforce feeling yes. as if they you matter, are. they contribute, their their point of view is heard, their mm-hmm. efforts are recognized, et cetera. Yep. I also mm-hmm. like to shake out traditionalists and generation Xers the older generational Xers, right? If they're leaving, it's not so much a culture issue. It's they might be retiring. They Mm. might be becoming entrepreneurs because that's the, right? That's the age group that we are seeing looking at numbers. That's the age group we see leaving to become entrepreneurs or to retire or to really start a whole new career plan, right? Right. The rest stay. They don't care if it's inclusive or not because they're right. They are going to retire in the next five to 10 years. Um, Millennials, if it's not inclusive, they are not staying. Mm. Does inclusion mean something different to millennials than it does to Gen X or Gen no, but Why I think we've got, yeah, you yeah. know, and, and we, we hear, and, and I think we're going to see, I don't think we're going to see the same thing from Gen Z's from my kids um, because I raised my kids and I talk a lot about how it's important that you work for an organization that's inclusive. And what does it look like? We, you know, the, the, oh, millennials are so entitled. They're not, they were raised by Gen Xers that were sick and tired of working 90 hours a week and not feeling valued. Mm. They right so they are they are much more sensitive to that inclusive feel. Yeah. Um, they've also had a lot more exposure to it because you got to remember millennials are our team generation where they all played sports teams. I don't ca- yes yes some of them got medals that they probably didn't deserve. Don't care. Moving on from that, they are used to that inclusive feeling. So now we send them out into the workplace that is focused on diversity, not Mm. inclusion. They get in there. And then within three months, we see the millennials going, I'm out of here. This is is not what I want. Mm. And I'll find another job because it is still a job market. Yes, it is. Which is nice. Yes, it is. It's (laughs) it's nice for those that are... It is not nice feeling included and, and looking for that feeling. next role. And I think organizations need to wake up and recognize that it's a culture issue. It's not that, right, they, we know from the research, people leave because of culture first and then their leaders next. Pay is number seven on that list as to why people leave. So, so yeah, so back to measuring inclusion, um, we take a look at any survey data that you've done, engagement surveys. Are you measuring inclusion, right? Do I feel heard? Do I trust my managers uh, or my leadership team? Am I part of the decision-making process? We can grab that data and look at that data. Then I look at leadership bench strength. Okay, what, what does that look like? Yeah, what does your succession planning look like? Mm. What does your bench strength look like? And if if you're, you know, I don't care what industry and if you're not building your succession planning, if you're not building your leadership bench strength, you are going to be caught with your pants down because we have more leaders leaving organizations than we have talent. Yeah. So, right, it's a critical component. I like to look at leadership bench strength and then I apply the diversity lens. What does that leadership bench strength look like? Does the leadership bench strength look the same as the overall employee talent pool? Right? Does though do those diversity numbers work? If they do, there's inclusion. If they don't, 
if your leadership bench strength is predominantly male or white or female and white, and because I've seen that as well, right? So don't don't think that sure. it's just a male, right? I've seen companies that'll have a bench strength of all women. And I'm like, what about the men? Right. Like, there's a huge perspective you're missing there. Right. So we look at that leadership bench strength. How strong is it? How diversified is it? Um, and then I like to look at what they're doing training wise, because training is for knowledge only. Training is for knowledge. The only goal training mm. should have in your organization is to build knowledge. That's it. Yeah. Right? Build knowledge, build skill. It's not going to drive diversity. It's not going to drive inclusion, but it will provide a foundation for inclusion. It does nothing yeah. for diversity. Yeah. I mean, it, it starts to equalize skill mm -hmm. sets, behaviors, et cetera. Hopefully. What, what strikes me, Loran, is if we look at what's happened over the past three years um, during the pandemic and stuff. So there's one side of this where the sustainability goals um, have really, my dogs are barking in the background. So that'll, that'll be part of our, uh, our conversation here as well. Bring them in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, um, but there's one part of this where it feels like we've got this heightened focus on sustainability, sustainable development goals, a lot of which are around people um, and uh, inclusion and raising poverty and all various things. Um, at the same time, it kind of feels like we've gotten a bit less inclusive, right? So I think when I look at the challenges of the pandemic, people working from home, greater pressures on childcare, um, certainly in the first years or so, and, and longer than that, depending on where you are of the pandemic, has made many companies, mm -hmm. not just, you know, in the chemical industry, out of the chemical industry, to kind of take a step back in mm -hmm. inclusivity, or at least the effectiveness of their inclus inclusion efforts, I guess. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, you know, I think one of the upsides to the COVID, to the pandemic, is it's becoming clearer and clearer where organizations are spending their money and spending mm. their efforts. And those organizations that are D first, diversity first, they're falling apart. They're right. Any inclusion that they started has fallen apart. They don't yeah. have that foundation in place. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, we're now seeing much more diverse hiring because mm of this new normal, as we say, uh, because now I can hire someone from Alabama if I'm working in Boston. Yeah, true. Right, or right in New Hampshire, right? The, those virtual or those remote positions, if you can do it, are a great way to increase yeah. diversity, but you have to have the foundation and inclusion, mm. right? You have to, right, again, we have to, and I don't think organizations are really getting that, you have to spend the time and the money to train your leaders, your managers, what inclusion looks like on a Zoom call. It's very different. Yeah, I, I was going to bring that up. I mean, I think because I also think remote working um, and a lot of companies are coming back into the office, but many are not in the office full time. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're in the office two or three days a week. Um and working at home or working remotely, right? And I think in, across the industry, we've often worked remotely when you're mm -hmm. traveling or you're in a just different location yeah. or you're visiting customers or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, it's hard to be inclusive when you're used to just turning, swiveling your chair around or walking around the corner to somebody else's desk. And now you can't. Well, I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, challenge you okay Victoria, right Bring it on. It, it's not that it's hard to be inclusive like walking around until I get more work done at home I am so much more yeah. productive remote than yeah. I am face to face I'm quite the chatty one right I just walk around the office and shoot the, I would have you know, never guessed that I know you. you never would have guessed that right <laughs> um but there are ways that you can right first off look at my office what does it tell you about me yeah you don't get to see that when we're face to face all the time. True. You don't yeah. get to see, I mean, I, right. I've got my books, but I've got my, my, you know, diplomas. I mean, if you saw my whole office, you'd be like, oh my God, she is spastic. 
because it's just crazy. It's so much color down here. And this is the toned down wall. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> Me too. To, actually, there's a lot right? more color in there's my office than this. But yeah, absolutely. But so first off, now we're getting a glance at your home mm. life and you've got a dog. We can have right now. Yeah. Can now, you know, more very different level. Um, I'm noticing on on strong teams and Zoom calls, right, that these managers and leaders are doing icebreakers at every call. Ooh. Interesting. Every call, do a quick icebreaker just to kind of open up the room. Uh, what's yeah. your favorite ice cream? Um, you know, what people your still doing cake? this? We uh, are three years in. We are fatigued. We, fatigued. I hear collectively people are fatigued. Are people still doing icebreakers? How do we break past the fatigue? I, I think we're we're stressed. I think we need to recognize on the flip side that we should stop having meetings just to have meetings to check on your people. That's yeah. fatigue. Yeah. If I get off of a meeting and I'm like, I'll never get those two hours back. That's my comment to the leader. I'm never getting these two hours back. Please take me off this list. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, we have to take a little bit of ownership around mm -hmm. that fatigue. Cause it can't, right. You're sitting in front of a computer screen all day. You're not getting yeah. up and walking to the bubbler to gossip or to chit chat. You're sitting right here. Yeah. That's and a lot of times people show up in the office and then sit on zoom and then or sit teams on or whatever it is that they're on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have right to manage my own fatigue. Cause I can sit at my desk eight hours straight. I won't eat anything. I drink my water. Like I lock in and that I have to put on my phone reminders every hour to get up and walk around for 10 minutes. And <laughs> excuse me. I do that because I know my circadian rhythms start to downshift. Mm. And if I am going and and if it's doing it for me, I have to be cognizant that I'm it's it's happening to my team as well. Yeah. So I try not to have any meetings longer than 20 minutes. Cuz I know at that 20 minute marker, you're shifting your focus. You like you're going to shift over. For at least 10 minutes. So I'd much rather, right, focus in on team meetings that are one focus that we can hit in 20 minutes and then come back a week from now. Yeah. Rather than being bogged down in these three, four hour team meetings. Oh, yeah. That's just ridiculous. It's a grind. It's, a, it's that's a grind. exhausting. Yeah. That's not inclusion. That's not, no. that's just exhausting. So, so coming back to teaching our leaders ways to be more inclusive, you know, what are a couple of things that leaders can be doing to help sure. foster inclusion in their organization? You know, get to know your people, um, work on your cultural intelligence. What does and, that mean? Yeah. Cause I hear, I, I, we hear about emotional intelligence, but what's cultural intelligence? Okay, so we have to have Emotional intelligence first before you have cultural intelligence, right? This, at least that self-awareness. Um, cultural intelligence is being aware of different cultures around you. Um, I like to think of cultural intelligence as looking at the world without the rose-colored glasses on and having that wonder of a five-year-old. You know, when my son was five, uh, our neighbors down the shore, the, the people that live down the street from us, um, they're Hindu. And yeah. right, and they've got the Buddha and they, they've got the and they would celebrate uh, in October their high holidays. And my son was like, Mom, I want to go to that. They do fireworks. So I just picked up the phone. I'm like, hey, my son wants to come down. Oh, come on down. Come on. The more the merrier. And right. that, like Rafi can tell you everything about the Hindu religion. Hmm. And the culture of those that follow it, because he right now he's in college. He has the one he still has that one or a five year old yeah. where he's like, oh, my God, these cultures are really unique yeah. and different. How do you do that respectfully in the workplace? Because, again, at work, we do kind of have, have boundaries. Our boundaries are different yeah. at work. Than at home as a leader, mm -hmm. leaders need to be very mindful of boundaries because Absolutely. you can go too far. 
Yeah. So how do you do that mindfully? So mindfully, you know, I, I highly encourage that you take a cultural intelligence course, um, right? And that will teach you the knowledge and the social norms of different cultures and understanding mm-hmm. those social norms so that you don't make a fool of yourself. Yeah. Um, you understand what that scarf is called. You don't touch another person's braids. You don't, right? You start understanding understanding those normatives that each individual has coming into the workplace and then keep building upon that. There is a need for vulnerability from our leaders mm-hmm. right now. I, I think our leaders really hide that right now. They don't want to appear that they're wrong um, or that they don't know everything. And I'm sorry, you don't. And yeah. it's okay to ask. I mean, heck, I have my PhD in DEI, and I'm still asking all the time because I don't know everything. And yeah. I never will know everything, which is a good thing, right? That means I can keep growing. So our leaders need to build those relationships with their teams where they can be vulnerable, um, where they can not only be vulnerable, but open up the dialogue within their team to have social norms conversations. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that, provided that you're not using racist terms and you know, you're right. using workplace language. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I highly encourage it. Yeah. Um, whether you're virtual or not, where you, if you're face to face, you know, food is a gr- food. I always feel that food and wine is the bind, right? That's the binder. Yes. To humanity. Yeah. Um, so, yes, you, you know, if you have a very diverse team, arrive in that. Mm. Like, that is so awesome. Um, yeah. Let each person shine. Uh, let each person shine. Although I will share, right? The Irish, I'm Irish. I, I am not doing a cabbage and corned beef day. Just not doing it. Don't like it. (laughs) I'm not ever going to bring that into the office to share. No. uh -uh. Right? Yeah. But but yeah, like instead, you know, have each person shine, share who they are. Yeah. Yes. there, And you do, you know, as you said, there's boundaries. So you have to set those boundaries up for your team, right? That's the reminder of, we don't want to overshare. Right. We want to share what's appropriate in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. That's helpful. So, so let's focus in a little bit. Cause one of the things you were, um, you talk really sparked this with me, you know, if we'd look at the chemical industry, it's an old industry, it's industrial, it is STEM focused mm-hmm. because of its history. It can be re- hard to recruit people. And in particular women and minorities mm-hmm. into the industry which makes it hard to be diverse, which is our measurement, which also affects inclusion. How do we, what are the opportunities to, to change it? One, does it, does this make it harder, you know, given that we're very STEM focused? Um, and how do we create inclusion more effectively in the industry and bringing more diversity into the industry? What do you yeah. observe in, with, you know, that, what you see and what your clients see? Yeah, in the chemical industry, which, uh, you know, is really fascinating. And and I will say the majority of uh, chemical companies I've worked with, they get it, right? Mm-hmm. I like to think of my chemical community as my critical thinkers. Like, they get yeah. it. I don't have to yeah. explain things 20 times. They get it the first time and we can move on. Love you guys. Um, so when we talk about, you know, in- increasing that diversity, inclusion is the way to increase that diversity. Yeah. Build that inclusive organizational culture where everyone, everyone, when I get a call that we want you to come in and increase diversity in a chemical company, my first question is, how do you know you don't have diversity in your company? What do you mean by that? Well, if only 23% of graduates are female in chemical engineering, how many women do you have working for you? Because you can't have 23%. That means, right? Like, the, let's yes. look at the numbers. I agree. I agree. 
right? Yeah. You can't change the the demographics back to your earlier point. Yeah. The demographics in match the demographic out that need to match the demographics along uh, across the organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that number is lower for people of color graduating. Right. So I think we need to step back and go, well, wait a minute. How many disabilities, how many veterans, how many, right? Let's look at the whole spectrum of dis, of, of diversity. And I also want you to recognize that as humans, we are 99.9% similar in the DNA code. That leaves one, like 0.01%. That's our specialization, right? That's our mm. uniqueness. And I am diverse from you, Victoria. We have different yeah. eye color. Yeah. We live in different areas. We had different childhoods, right? So we already have some of that diversity. When you build that inclusive organizational culture, when everyone is feeling heard, then you bring up how do we recruit? How do we drive? attracting more diversity. And here's why we want it, right? The problem solving, understanding our customer base. Yeah. Okay. How are we going to get that? Well, this is where I go, you know, you utilize your ESG, your, your environment, social and governance. Are you doing anything at the local university to attract women into STEM or minorities into STEM? Are you doing, yeah. like, I always come back and say, well, what are you doing to increase enrollment in your local university? Right. Well, we're not doing anything. Well, then you're part of the problem. Because right. I, I can't, we, we just can't manufacture diversity if we're not showing the way. I have one organization here up in New Hampshire that actually created, excuse me, a STEM program uh, for all in high school, but it was really geared and the language was geared towards women of color, hmm. women of color, uh, low socioeconomics. Yeah. So, and I say that um, in that, like my daughter's going, we talked about this, my daughter, one of them is going into chemical engineering and she's going chemical engineering tissue. So it's really cool. It's no longer, your industry's changing. It's no longer I, yeah. just chemicals yeah, like that's awesome chemicals. um she wouldn't have thought she would not have gone into this program mm -mm. no because we have right we're in a solid school district where she's yeah. getting all IB and AP and all yeah they looked at a socioeconomic area that had a lot of diversity in their student population especially girls created a stem light bulb program right come they'd meet after school they met with all kinds of chemical engineers they met with a few other engineers as well mechanical came in uh civic civics came in um civil engineers came in um, mechatronics came in and the robotics uh, yeah and then if you were part of the program here was the dangle right if you completed the program they gave you a thousand dollars towards college Nice. And guaranteed you an internship your freshman year. <laughs> that's worth even more. Yeah, that's huge. You're I, right. Like I sit back and I'm like, holy crap. These and, and these girls are all going to right. They had 20. They had 20 graduate last year. Nice. They're all going to STEM colleges um, and they're all going to come back next year. They're their freshman summer and do an internship with this company, they're not going to pay. It's not a paid internship their freshman year. There's yeah. your $20,000. There's your money. Yeah. I'm like, wow, you guys banked that well. Um, yeah. And now we have loyalty. Because one thing we know about diverse candidates, we tend to be a lot more loyal. If the organization's inclusive, why would I ever want to wreck that boat? Because I've been kicked in the head enough in society. So, you know, so when I talk to this company, they're like, yeah, we, you know, yeah, we don't have the numbers we want right now, but in five years, we are going to be leading. I'm like, yeah, you will be. And and I think what's interesting about that is it is a long game. It, it's a long you game. Don't, you don't automatically, to your point, it's hard to get 50% women in leadership at a chemical company when, heck, 
you're not hiring in 50% women. There's not 50% women coming out of STEM degrees, et cetera. Yeah. So it takes a long time. And there's a couple of organizations, one in, in, in particular um, that I've done some work with, Chemical Educational Foundation, CEF, mm-hmm. who actually targets students um, of you know all genders, races, et cetera, but targets students in middle school to get them nice. interested in chemicals and chemistry because you mm-hmm. have to plant the seeds early. Early, yeah. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you can't fix it at the tail end if you haven't fixed it at the beginning. Wow. And, and you know, when we think when we think STEM in general, um, you know, my generation, we were told that we weren't good at math and we weren't good at science. I rock at math. Well, I don't rock at math. I rock at science. Yeah. Uh, right. But but that's not where girls went. You, you became nurses. You became teachers. Like I remember when I went to college, first gen to go to college and my mother's like, are you going to become a teacher? And I was like. Oh my God, no. Like, holy, <laughs> holy no. no. Like, could you see me teaching? Not at all. I'd be fired. Um, yeah. Right? But that was our generation. And now yeah. we have companies that grew up with my generation going, we want more diversity, but we haven't done a whole lot. You know, yes, we've got initiatives in place to get more people of color or more, right? But what are you really doing? Um, neurodiversity is hot right now. It is hot. One organization that I'm working with in Boston, we just started a neurodiversity program um, and they're all computer kids. I'm not even sure. I don't really know what neurodiversity <clears throat> is. So neurodiversity, I'm neuro, I am neurodivergent. I have a learning disorder. Uh, I am very dyslexic. My daughter, Lena, is dyslexic. She's the okay. one that's going into chemical engineering. Um, and so she can't write stuff down. She visualizes it and then it'll just give you the answer. It's weird, oh. but it works. Right. Um, she's considered neurodivergent, right? She has a learning disability. Um, ADHD, neurodivergent. On the spectrum, neurodivergent. Um, right. Anybody that that that's brain is different is what we consider neurodivergent. Somebody with high levels of anxiety. We now know that anxiety really is a brain disease. Hmm. That's neurodivergent. So we need to be looking at where can these individuals go work? Um, And we are starting to see, at at least, you know, at the colleges up here, we're starting to see in STEM neurodivergent classes that are targeting these students that are on the spectrum because here's right because when you have a student that's on the spectrum what data has shown us is they tend to be very specific towards math yes and chemistry yes and right we're now creating engineers because the universities are teaching neurodivergently yeah and then we need to have companies that and then we prepared to, to support that individuals. Yes, but that's yeah. the right. That's that inclusive lens. Mm. I need, you know, I work with managers that, you know, I spend a great deal of time training them and the workplace to understand that, well, Scott may not want to talk to any of you. And Scott is just going to be plugged into the computer and have his headset on. And here's how you get Scott's attention. And you have to recognize it's not personal. Mm. Right. Scott's going to give you an answer and then go back to work. He's not, he's, and and there's nothing you can, that's just how his brain works. Yeah. But if you have a problem, give it to Scott because Scott will find the answer. Yeah. Very quickly. Yeah. And then reward Scott, you know, Scott, you did such a great job. He may not show it, but everybody wants to feel like they belong. Yeah, absolutely. And what this tells me, this, this, conversation as well as just our um our definitions of diversity our rec or our recognized definitions of diversity are expanding our types of inclusion mm-hmm. are expanding um <laughs> the importance is there the importance is far more recognized now maybe than it used to be but um mm-hmm. it's a it's a continuous evolution it's a continuous evolution. And if we want to see change happen in the chemical industry, we have to be part of that change. We have to, right? We have to be sponsoring individuals that aren't typical. 
that are atypical or right or uh, that are different than us. We have to go out of our way to create programs that are going to entice different thinkers. Because in the 80s and 90s, we were fine with this linear thinking, but we are now in a globalized business frame. And the problems that you're solving here in the United States, those solutions won't work anywhere else but the United States. You've got, right, we need to be thinking bigger and we need to be expanding our own industry. Like I said, right, my daughter's going into tissue design and that's under the chemical engineering umbrella. Fascinating. She's going to be creating organs from a 3D printer based on chemistry. I mean, yeah. it's it's wild. We couldn't even imagine that. We couldn't even imagine that. And here she's like, oh my gosh, this this is what I absolutely love. And right, she just gets it. And we need to recognize that it's changing. The world is changing. We have to, as an industry, change with it or it will get replaced. And then where will you be? Well, and and, and presumably, and I say presumably because I, but I think the data would show if we come back to the data, um, the data will show that ultimately the mm -hmm. companies that create the most long-term value mm -hmm. will be the most inclusive, the most inclusive yeah. of their own organization, of their customers and suppliers and business partners. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, we have to believe it creates value. As humans, we know it creates value. As humans, uh, and as companies, value. it creates value. Yeah. And we've got, you know, you've got the whole generations that are coming up now that expect it. It's not like yeah. I want to feel valued. Yeah. Like that was my dad. My yes. dad was like, you know, you get a job, you put in your 50 hours a week, you get a gold watch. Who cares if you were valued? You got a paycheck. Yeah. yeah. No. Where's my yeah. impact? Where am I valued? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Lauren, this has been great. This I really appreciate you joining us. I mean, we've kind of gone the whirlwind of diversity and inclusion. I think this <laughs> has been super helpful. If people want to learn more about inclusion and diversity and the work that you do, where how do they where can they connect with you? How do they find that out? Yeah, you can either find me on LinkedIn, Dr. Loran Star, or you can go to my website, Dr. Loran Star, and it's just the DR Loran Star. Everything is right there. Awesome. Everything is right there. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us today. And thanks everyone for joining us on The Chemical Show. We'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.